First Person Advisors is now a subsidiary of NFP, the fifth largest insurance broker in the world, combining local expertise with access to global capabilities and solutions. Learn more at firstpersonadvisors.com. The peaceful sounds of the wind whipping through cornfields in the Midwest. More than 8,000 miles away, a much different sound, shelling and combat. From where Hoosier Beth Bechtel sits as Deputy Director General at the Food and Agriculture Organization of the United Nations, the war in Ukraine could have a devastating impact on farmers and the world food supply chain. Production, supply chain, and logistical disruptions taking place in this very Black Sea region are indeed already reverberating throughout the world and I fear have potentially grave repercussions on global food security. Beth Bechtel was born on the family farm in DeKalb County in Northeast Indiana. Her deep roots in agriculture have taken her from key leadership roles in Indiana agriculture all the way to a global scale where she continues to fight to make sure people living in war-torn and underdeveloped countries around the world have enough to eat. Join us for a conversation from Rome with former Agrinovis Indiana CEO and a current pivotal manager of the United Nations Food Program, Beth Bechtel, on this edition of the Business and Beyond podcast. Hello and welcome to the Business and Beyond podcast presented by PNC. I'm Gary Dick. The Breckbill Farm in Auburn, Indiana has been around since 1864, now in its sixth generation. Primary crops, corn, wheat, and soybeans. It's where Beth Bechtel grew up and where, as a teenager, she wanted to get as far away from as possible. And she did for a short time. She went to Georgetown University, where she discovered her love of global affairs, trade, development, and how it all tied into her deep connection with food and agriculture. Beth came back home and earned her master's in ag econ at Purdue, went on to serve in various ag leadership roles in Indiana, including as president and CEO of Agrinovus, before moving to Rome in 2020, right at the breakout of the pandemic to take over as Deputy Director General at the Food and Agriculture Organization of the United Nations. Beth, welcome to the podcast. Uh, Really great to uh, connect with with you virtually. I've got to ask you, it's been two plus years. How are things in Rome? (laughs) Well, it's great to be with you, Gary, and to do another podcast. Um, I enjoyed doing so many of those with you through Agronovus that it's nice to know you're doing one as FAO. Um, Life in Rome is good. Life in Rome has not been without its challenges during a global pandemic that affected all of us. But uh, I think I can say that I'm hitting my stride and I'm figuring out this really big organization that is the Food and Agriculture Organization of the United Nations. And, you know, really starting to fall in love with Italy. Uh, It's a beautiful country and Rome is a magnificent city. Yeah. Well, you are Deputy Director General of the Food and Agriculture Organization of the United Nations. So that is a big title. It's a big job. For those who might not be familiar, describe 
the organization and its 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 mission. Yeah, I'll I'll try to to really synthesize because it is a really complex organization. It's a big organization. We were founded just after the end of World War II. Uh, when you can appreciate that at that time the world was really mindful about making sure that people had enough to eat, and so the mission of FAO is really about taking on the issue of global hunger, global food insecurity, making sure that people have adequate nutrition. But along with that, we also focus on increasing agricultural productivity in countries that are mostly developing, right? So think of very small scale farmers in some of the most challenged parts of the world, and also on improving rural communities and rural livelihoods. So, uh, you know, not too dissimilar from issues that are being faced in the United States and even other developed countries, but our mission is very much about those countries that are in crisis. Um, we have 3,000 employees here in Rome at our headquarters, 13,000 in total around the world. So we have 130 offices in countries all over the world uh, where we focus on supporting agricultural productivity, supporting farmers, working with national governments, with ministries of agriculture and ministries of the environment to really build up agriculture and what we call agri-food systems as a part of those national economies. And, and this, again, this organization does very important work. And, and as you mentioned, uh, in, in areas facing crisis, and certainly topical now is Ukraine. You're very much immersed in, in what's happening in, in Ukraine. How, how is the organization really connected with that? situation. So a lot of the listeners and a lot of people I'm finding in the U.S. Are, are more familiar with one of our sister agencies in the U.N. called the World Food Program. Uh, and the WFP is the agency, sister agency to us as FAO, that really focuses on the food assistance, right? I mean, really think about airplanes coming in, dropping off bags of food, water, all of those basic supplies in crisis areas, whether that's Ukraine, whether that's Afghanistan, Yemen, and, and many others, unfortunately, um, very sadly today. FAO is more focused on how do we make sure, as I said earlier, the agricultural system of a country, that crops can be harvested, livestock can be vaccinated, farmers can take care of their families, they can continue to have, you know, sort of access to all of the inputs, the seeds, the fertilizers that are needed to actually sustain their farming lifestyle and their incomes. And so clearly right now in Ukraine, we're all watching um, however many months in now, um, we're pushing two months or more, two and a half months of this invasion. And you have farms uh, where farmers are leaving to take up arms and to be a part of the Ukrainian army. You have grain storage ports, um, other kinds of facilities that are being targeted by Russian shelling. And so we have over 100 colleagues in the country right now working with Ministry of Agriculture officials trying to simply make sure that crops that are in the ground now can make it to harvest. And that getting ready for the spring planting season, that those farmers who are still able to stay on their farms are able to get those crops in the ground. So a lot of very hands-on technical assistance, getting access to these kinds of supplies is right at the center of our mission. What do your colleagues say about what it's like to be there? I mean, that's got to be 
an incredibly, obviously, dangerous situation. Do you, do they, you have, have you had any conversations with them about what is like uh, you know, on the ground in Ukraine? Yeah, I, I don't think we can even really um, imagine it uh, in many ways. I, I can't even say that for the time that I've been here and a few of the countries I've had the opportunity to visit, that I have even, you know, had the opportunity to personally understand what that, what living with that kind of terror, that uncertainty, that lack of security, lack of safety feels like. But, um, you know, we we are we are in conversations with farmers where they are finding unexploded mine devices being left in their fields. Um, they have no labor because again, all of the labor, whether it's truck drivers or, or you know, port workers or, or contracted uh, support is all going and they're all being either taken into the army themselves or they're volunteering for the army. So we're really at a stage and, and this is where the global implications of this kind of, of global crisis are I think really going to be felt. We're seeing it in fertilizer prices. We're seeing it in commodity prices. The U.S., Canada, South America, I'm sure, will step in and provide extra supplies to those countries who are wheat importers or crop importers from these other regions. But it's going to have ripple effects throughout the global agricultural economy for a long time to come. Yeah. What's a typical day like for you, Beth? Uh, or is there a typical day? Give us give us an idea of what it's like. <laughs> it's long. <laughs> it's <laughs> right. really long. Partially long because of the global nature of our of our organization, uh, much like a global business. Um, you're navigating with your colleagues who are in Asia Pacific or Latin America. So oftentimes, you know, we try to put things around a Rome time zone, but out of accommodation and the need to, you know, sort of support your colleagues in other parts of the world, you find yourself up at 5 a.m. and you find yourself on calls at 11 p.m. Uh, and, you know, trying to, to keep that balance. But for me, a lot of the normal day in these last two and a half years has really been First of all, in an apartment, <laughs> like many people, you're at home, you're in an apartment. Now here in the office, we're coming back to our building with about 50% capacity maybe, but it's a lot of desk time. Um, it really is. It's a lot of emails, a lot of you know management decisions, a lot of coordination of new initiatives that are being launched. A lot of conferences and convenings where somebody wants opening comments and give a speech and, you know, tell us about FAO's work somewhere. Only recently have I gotten the chance to start traveling. And I've spent a week in Guatemala. I've spent about four or five days in Kenya seeing the drought conditions that are there. I was just in Washington and New York, um, sort of reintroducing FAO to some of our U.S. government colleagues because they have a lot, I think, to, to sort of learn about the work of FAO. Um, so, so starting to travel, which is a really important part of why I really wanted to contribute to this organization, was you want to see ways that you can make an impact. And you don't get to do that, you know, from a desk in an office in your building's headquarters. So that's starting to change. Your transition, farm girl from northern Indiana, right? Whitley County? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Auburn. DeKalb yeah, oh, County. Auburn. Okay, DeKalb. Okay, I was close. But but that transition, which would have been substantial in, in, under any circumstance, because of the pandemic, it was truly unique. Describe what it was like for you 
uh, to head over to Rome and then obviously the pandemic. Yeah, it's it's a it will be forever a two year window where I can look back and say that I was both terrified, mostly professionally terrified. I wouldn't say I was personally terrified, personally nervous because you didn't know what you were getting into. And I didn't speak Italian and I didn't know Rome very well. And I hadn't met very many colleagues yet. And, and so there was a lot of anxiety. But Gary, I'll, I'll just say really candidly to you, it was it was also about a year and a half of really being honestly outside of your comfort zone professionally. And I've never had that before where, where something just, you know, you felt a little bit insecure. You didn't really sort of know what, why am I here? What, what do I have to give to this organization and this big mission? And I realized that now looking back where I am two and a half years in, it was a lot about me just getting my confidence and my grounding and really getting a lay of the land. And it's a big organization with a huge global mandate. And so to think that you can sort of come in and within about a month or your first hundred days, have it all figured out is pretty naive. It's been the most challenging period by far, personally and professionally, but uh, I, I wouldn't change it for anything. Yeah, how, how did you get through those those days uh, that being out of your comfort comfort zone? Because people face those kinds of challenges, and it, it's not necessarily fun. I mean, did you did you, did you do anything that uh, or have any mindset that helped you get through it? Yeah, you know, I I probably shed a few tears to be <laughs> honest. I mean, I think there's nothing wrong with you know sort of admitting that some things are pretty scary and pretty heavy, and you just kind of have to emotionally cope with them. Because I also came over by myself. My husband Matt was supposed to come uh, at the on the start of the trip, and we made the decision the night before I was leaving that he was going to stay in Indiana because. The COVID situation was changing. Our daughter was in the United Arab Emirates for school. And all of a sudden, we got news the night before I was leaving that the Emirates were no longer allowing anybody coming in from Italy. So you play the scenario game of, wait a minute, if both of us go to Italy, something happens to her. Because remember, in those early days, nobody knew what COVID really was going to mean or how serious. And so we made this calculated decision that he would stay, which meant I got on the plane that was completely empty, uh, coming over to a place, you know, where I needed to find the apartment. But I think I, I think what I did more than anything probably was I reflected a lot on other situations in other times of my career where I could look either to a mentor, to a person that got through something more difficult than this was. And and you really sort of found yourself evaluating, okay, let me think through this scenario. I can get through this. I know I have the skills to do it. I've seen, I've learned, I have people at a moment's call. If I need a little bit of self-encouragement and somebody to kind of pat me on the back and say, you can get through this. I took advantage of, of sort of all of that. You know, I really think that your attaining this position was certainly a uh, tip of the hat to your, your abilities, your capabilities, um, and a whole host of things. But I also you know, can't help but think about Kip Tom, Indiana farmer, U.S. ambassador to the United Nations uh, Agencies for Food and Ag. Jim Morris, who headed the World Food Program, yeah. and now you. Those are three very high-profile 
positions in the in the food world, literally world. What does that say, or does that make a statement about Indiana? Is there, for lack of a better term, benefits that come with this these leadership roles that you and Kip and, and Jim have played? Yeah, I mean, to me, I think there is such. A, I know we always talk about you know, sort of humility and modesty. I, I think more than anything, it's practicality. Um, I, I think when, you know, I, I reflect on, on Jim and, and Kip and, you know, now we also have um, former Senator Joe Donnelly, who's here oh, in Rome right. as well right. as the yeah. ambassador to the Vatican. And I'm thrilled to have his agricultural background. Um, mm-hmm. We met just uh, about a week or so ago. Uh, he's arrived and, you know, I said to him, you know, I'm going to count on you to be here as another voice of Indiana agriculture who gets it and and can be through that role advocating against hunger and the importance of food and food security for people all over the world, which is an important mission for even the Vatican and Pope Francis to be to be carrying through. But I think it's I think it's practicality. I, I think, you know, we all of us, as I reflect on these individuals, recognize that agriculture is is something that is at the very center of life. You can't take it for granted. I think people who do come with a farming or a respect for agriculture background bring that modesty and that humility. And, you know, I I very much got tagged without people knowing me here in Rome by the ambassadors, by even my own colleagues as coming from big corporate agriculture. I mean, it was, they, oh, it's it's been a it's been a label that I've fundamentally have had to work at to sort of push off, right? Because yeah. even looking at Agronovis, people would look at Agronovis and they'd look at the companies who were on the board. And, you know, there was all of this. She's in the back pocket of the seed industry and the pesticide companies. And, Interesting. And so yeah. Really having to convey to all of my colleagues and our partners and people in the ambassadorial community from other countries who are here, showing them that at my very core, I'm a farmer. And I understand what that means, whether it's for a farmer who's in Uganda, a farmer who's in Somalia, Afghanistan. It, there's we have different we have different tools we have different assets we have different benefits you know as families and as people but at your core there's still something that sincerely binds you um, and i think jim and kip had that as well and i think that's something about what speaks to this tradition of hoosier leadership uh, here in rome well you know you mentioned agronovis the organization that uh, you so ably led uh, that organization that uh, that really does uh, support and lead the uh, ag bioscience sector, which continues to grow in so many ways uh, in I've Indiana. Seen it. It's terrific. Yeah, it's exciting. And you know, I remember when Agrinovus was first announced. I remember being at that announcement, and in that room, there was so much support from the the ag community, the academic community, the the, the business community, right from the beginning. And I think that's continue to grow is the same feeling I had kind of a, a couple of weeks ago when Elanco broke ground for their new corporate campus in downtown Indianapolis, another sign of momentum. As you look from afar now from Rome at, at Agrinovis, the ag bioscience space, at what, what's your take? 
Yeah, well, I think it's, I mean, it, first of all, it's, it's so terrific to see that team and, you know, the, the leadership that uh, has been there from the beginning and now with Mitch Frazier at the helm, what he has been able to, I think, really continue to bring in terms of strong economic uh, development successes and wins for the state, which was always at the very sort of foundation of what we knew needed to happen uh, in really advancing the state's agricultural leadership. I, I would just say to you, I mean, I probably check the Agronovis playbook at least on a, on a daily or a weekly basis here. And it was a big part of even just yeah. candidly what I interviewed on when I took this role and was being considered. I, I used language, uh, you know, intentionally and also I think a little bit unintentionally that was agronovis language about next generation talent, about, about the ag biosciences or ag tech and ag innovation around early stage companies and needing to support them, about private sector engagement in agriculture. I mean, these were things that frankly were a little far afield for FAO, even just a few years ago. And so, you know, I oversee all of our private sector engagement, all of our partnerships and I can tell that when I come into meetings here and I start to bring people together around partnerships, they sort of look at me almost, you know, incredulously sometimes when I suggest putting all of these people in a room together, meaning like there is a way for them to, to find common ground. There is a way to bring different viewpoints and people around a common topic, a common theme, a common mission. And, you know, I think, I think that's not what FAO has tended to do in the past. And I think it's one of the successes of Agronovis is that it really has been able to bring that multi-stakeholder, multidisciplinary enthusiasm and commitment, and it's paying off. It's paying off. You, from your view in Rome, so many times a bit insular and looking at, at economic development and various areas that grow the economy, but you look at the ag bioscience space, that is a global industry, obviously. How, what are the opportunities that you see for Indiana to take advantage of that, you know, companies like Solimtech, they just announced a big funding uh, round, uh, I think $60 yeah. million. A lot of other examples of global companies investing in Indiana. Can Indiana play a big role on a global stage when it comes to food and ag? Absolutely. And Gary, I would say that there's there's maybe the traditional economic development way to play that role that we know so well. And I think I see more and more as I get a chance to kind of understand the scope and the scale of global agricultural uh, development and technologies. This is a place where I think now that for Indiana, having sort of grounded itself as being this home, for, for companies that are coming from different parts of the world, I would certainly say to Governor Holcomb and to uh, Secretary Chambers, keep at it, uh, get out as much as you possibly can and keep promoting the state of Indiana for those important investment opportunities. But the new point of view that I think I would bring for in, in this role to, to the leadership in Indiana is there also is the reverse opportunity, which is having Indiana leadership demonstrate and maybe support farmers 
in developing countries who don't have access to the same kinds of innovation, the same kinds of technical support. You know, you think about, and you see this in a Purdue university. I mean, the kinds of extension training and support for small scale farmers that is already happening in the College of Agriculture and and other parts of the university. It would be really terrific if this Indiana ingenuity and this Indiana leadership could also be maybe gifted or given back in a way to those farmers in places that are in most need of important training, important technologies, important innovation, new kinds of of managerial leadership. There's so much that I think Indiana is, is on the receiving end of, but I think there's a real important time ahead of us where maybe challenging my friends back at home to think about how they can give to the rest of the world's farmers would be another important consideration. Very good. Well, Beth Bechtel is certainly a uh, an Indiana native, a Hoosier through and through, through and through, grew up on a farm, family farm in Northern Indiana, Northeast Indiana. We'll talk... Uh, back to all the early years when we return. First Person Advisors is now a subsidiary of National Financial Partners, the fifth largest insurance broker and consultant in the world. Develop your total reward strategies all in one place with the combination of First Person's local expertise and NFP's global resources and integrated solutions. Learn more at firstpersonadvisors.com. Welcome back to the Business and Beyond podcast presented by PNC. My guest this week, Beth Bechtel, coming to us from Rome, where she is Deputy Director General of the Food and Agriculture Organization of the United Nations. And Beth, we talked a bit about your role and and, uh, the importance of it in the organization. Let's talk a little bit about about you and and kind of your background, where you grew up. So Auburn, Estacalb County, uh, right? So uh, family farm. Give us an idea. What was it like? growing up in uh, in rural Northeast Indiana? <laughs> well, it's really sad to probably admit this, but growing up, I was probably not the most helpful or supportive <laughs> family member of the farm operation. In fact, I was sort of one of those problematic teenagers who really wanted to be anywhere but Northeastern Indiana and life on a farm, you know, always disappointed that my friends lived in town and phone calls were still long distance. And, you know, my parents would get angry about, you know, the telephone bills. And I I just always had this feeling of wanting to go away and wanting to be in a city. And and so, you know, I am very fortunate in that my my parents both, especially my dad, so it's part of my dad's family where the, the farm is founded, didn't, didn't, I'll say force, but but didn't yeah. you know sort of say to me, you need to be an FFA, you need to take agriculture classes, you need to every day help on the farm. I, my dad realized that both my sister and myself had other interests, um, and both he and my mom let us explore those, whether they were academic, music, athletics, whatever it was, we were encouraged 
to go find our own paths and find our own passions. And I swear, my dad must have had a sixth sense of some kind because both of his daughters, no sons, both of his daughters have landed fully back in agriculture. So I sit here in Rome in the Food and Agriculture Organization of the United Nations, and my sister is the operator lead of our family farm operation now. And so, you know, both of us had this freedom to sort of go explore and, and find our ways school, academics, early stages of our careers. And both of us have landed um, right back squarely connected to where it all started. Wow, that's interesting. Uh, so what were your interests? You kind of were a wanderer, maybe looking uh, looking uh, outside of the farm. Anything that really you focused on in school or extracurriculars? Yeah, so so it's not too terribly exciting, but but I I was on the speech team uh, oh, okay. and and really committed to you know and and uh, really took it very seriously international extemporaneous speaking where you'd walk into a judge's room and you'd have an envelope and you'd pull out three questions and the three questions were on some global topic of the day. Um, It could have been around, you know, sort of the fall of the Soviet Union. Today, it would be on the Ukraine crisis. It might be on a financial topic, UK leaving the European Union. And as a teenager, a high school teenager, you had 30 minutes to go away, do your research in your Economist, Time Magazine, Newsweek, whatever sources of information you had. And you had to script a seven-minute speech and go back in front of a whole room of grown-ups and deliver without any notes a seven-minute speech that answered that question on one of these big global topics. And I loved that. Yeah. <laughs> I it was the coolest thing. And, and, you know, I realize now how much I have to sometimes talk about things that I feel like I know very little about, but you still have to come across incredibly authoritative and you have to have your thoughts together and you have to be, you know, it's just, it's communication meets sort of the, the geopolitics, global politics of the day. And so even that has been a tremendous, I realize now grounding uh, for what I have to do today. Yeah, absolutely. Now, as I understand it, you were the first in your immediate family to not go to Purdue for your undergrad, right? Yeah, it was it was not a comfortable time in the household. <laughs> I think I think I actually may have lied and said that I applied. And then at some point when all the other colleges out of state started sending their acceptance letters, my dad sort of said, how is it that you're not getting into Purdue yeah, right. <laughs> to admit that I never sent the application? Um, you, had, which, you had to fess um, up. Huh? Yeah. yeah. But, you know, I, I, I figured out my return to agriculture when I was at Georgetown. I, I studied uh, for one year uh, in, in Munich, Germany. I got a chance to do a, a short trip uh, to, to Moscow that my dad had his fingerprints involved in. And in that, in that space, I got a chance to visit the American Soybean Association's consulting office in Moscow. It's a long story and you don't have the time for it, but it was, the, it was the light bulb moment for me. It was the light bulb moment where all of what I was pursuing in international politics, international affairs, thinking about the foreign service and a life in diplomacy, 
all of a sudden agriculture came smashing back into it. And I knew as soon as I went back for my senior year at Georgetown that I wanted to find a way to meld international global affairs with agriculture. And so Purdue uh, was the natural place to go and get your agricultural credentials is right. what dad calls them. It's where I got my polish. I was going back to Purdue and I did AgEcon masters at Purdue after that. And then, but then you actually began your career in, in DC, right? Yeah. So, so this is where it was the, I had fallen in love with Washington from the four years at Georgetown, came back to Purdue, did the two years there. But even, even as I started in West Lafayette, and it was great to be back close to family and able to spend that time, Washington was still calling. I, I knew, I knew that the moment I deposited the thesis and I packed the car up, I was heading right back to DC. And so I started, um, my first job was, was in a consulting practice where we did a lot of forward-looking analyses of the future of biotechnology, the changing structure of agriculture. What will the next farm bills of the future look like for big clients, Monsanto's and Cargill's and John Deere's and General Mills? And, and so I got a real sort of almost second education, I call it. That was sort of the PhD without the PhD, where you really got that practical analytical capability. And that too has grounded me to be able to, in this current job, really understand economics, understand how to analyze data, understand how to contextualize these issues that we're facing today, even here at FAO, has been hugely valuable. So you are you have what you call team Bechtel, right? Your daughter Grace, who I think you mentioned earlier, is she a freshman? No, my goodness, she's a junior. Oh my um, gosh! Yeah, she's a junior at New York University in Abu Dhabi. Abu Dhabi, yeah. So she's still yeah. she's there. So again, she's yeah. got that wandering, um, you know, aspect just like her mom. Yeah. Uh, and your husband Matt is, is an innovator. I mean, in so yeah. many ways. I, Really enjoyed having him on a podcast some time ago, working in the ag and what geospatial technologies, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he's he's still from here. I know he sometimes questions how good of a job he's doing, but I think he's doing a great job. He's still leading um, one of the Purdue startups called Griffin. So uh, a data-driven plant breeding, phenotyping, drone uh, for service company that all is originating from Boilermaker intellectual property. Property, uh, yeah, right. So even here in Rome, we can't get away from our, our Boilermaker Indiana connections. Yeah, that's outstanding. Well, what's, what's next, Beth? So you're doing so many <laughs> things, so busy. I don't know if you even have time to think about what's next, but as you look to the to, to the future, what uh, what are you thinking about? I wish I knew, but at the same time, I'm glad I don't know. I I, I really don't know. I, I think this is probably one of the there there've been about two moments in my life that I can reflect on where I gave up on a plan, you know, because I was always a planner and always had sort of strategically the next step, the next thing you wanted to achieve. And, and, you know, even early in my career, it was, you know, I'm going to be the secretary of agriculture of the United right. States of America someday. I don't know if that's still in the cards to be oh, determined. It might be. It might be. That's a very political, right time, right place. And I don't know. I, I would say that this particular role 
has, again, opened my thinking back up to that global perspective. Yeah. And, and I'm really captured by that. And it changes your perception when you have that kind of exposure. But this is one of those moments where I am <laughs> letting myself just be in the moment Right. And not overthink what does come next, not find myself at a place being distracted by either the strategizing or the worrying about, will there be another opportunity? Um, I'm pretty confident there will be, but I want, I've always been so fortunate, Gary, that truly every position I have had has built and contributed something to the next one. And I'm, I'm not ready to give up on that. So I, I, I've got to find the thing or what is that next contribution that takes what I'm doing now and lets me do even more. And so I'm still trying to, I think, learn what those, those things could be, but we'll figure it out. It'll sort itself out. Well, I'm sure whatever it is, you will do it uh, with great uh, impact. And I hope uh, that impact... Uh will be felt here close to home in Indiana uh, as well. Beth Bechtel, the Deputy Director General of the Food and uh, Agriculture Organization of the United Nations. Beth, really great to catch up with you from your office in Rome and uh, look forward to seeing you in person on your next trip back, uh, back home. Thanks again. Thanks, Gary. It was a pleasure. And thanks for having me and come visit sometime. I hope if, if people can start getting over here, um, we're always happy to host. Well, we'll take you up on that. My wife and I may be going on a, a little trip uh, here in the next year that might might bring us, take us there. So I'll, Let me know. I'll definitely look you up. Thanks very much. Beth, Beth, All right. Beth, for joining me on the Business and Beyond podcast. And thank you for joining us as well on this weekly conversation with achievers in business, sports, entertainment, and beyond. And you can download all of our episodes and get the latest Indiana Business News 24-7. All you have to do is go to InsideIndianaBusiness.com. I'm Gary Dick. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time.